Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Charlie Coker. Before I bring up my brother Charlie, I just want to give you a quick story. Those that came to the conference last night heard it briefly, but you need to hear this as a testimony of the house. And and I understand that not everybody was able to make the Voice of Freedom conference, but there was some, some profound things that took place in our team and in our city uh, this week. And on Thursday night, we were in a time of a prophetic roundtable with not just like our local folks, but specifically we have Joel and Pam Witcher who, who minister up in Olean, New York, who are dear brother and sister us. We have Charlie Coker from Florida. We have Michael, who is from Jerusalem. We have Joel uh, Thornton, who is from Rome, Georgia. Brian Higby, I dropped off this morning uh, uh, back to Pennsylvania. We have Kelly and Jeannie, who are just dear to us as well, uh, that are in. Am I missing anybody? I don't think I did, but uh, we came together and we began to say, okay, Lord, if you've called us to, to take this region for the gospel of the kingdom, and specifically, how do we actually tear down uh, human trafficking in our lifetime? We need your strategy, the strategy of heaven to come. And so he began to speak to us. We had some assignments that we were supposed to do. One of them was to go to the headwaters at the Kamal River and actually take communion together and then throw it into the headwaters, which almost led to our, it may be an exaggeration arrest, but it, it was close to it. And... Uh, it was, th- it was threatened, but, and, and bless the woman too, she's overseeing it because they're trying to protect it. And, and here's the thing, the headwaters were down three or four feet below the, the tube that actually would feed the Kamal River. And, and so as we're going through, we just began to break the assignments that the enemy had against the land so that we could actually bring it into the assignment of heaven. Well, on, uh, before that Friday morning, we were sitting here and we were in, in a time of worship and prayer. And we took communion together, and the Lord said this, it's time to redeem the land by my blood. How much do you believe my blood has power? Because the blood is actually actually glorified up in heaven, and so as it is in heaven, what does it look like on earth? And so I took a communion cup and poured it out onto the floor. As it spread out, took the communion wafer and put it into the middle of it, because it's like as the body absorbs the blood of Jesus, it can actually bring the DNA Jesus to the community. It was a very strong prophetic act, and immediately Joel goes, we can't just wipe that up and throw it away as if nothing happened. We need to find a cloth to be able to soak it up and use it partially as a memorial stone to what God's done, but also a reminder of something he's doing moving forward. And so we got this rag. uh, It was a dish rag. Now it's a cloth. I've been corrected a few times. And uh, we put it, just put it down the blot it. Now, somebody gave me the right answer last night, and it may be hard for where you're sitting, but I don't know if you can tell. What does it look like? It's a footprint. It's a footprint. From a circle splot on the ground, it, the way it soaked up became a footprint, and the Lord began to say, I'm birthing something. And how many mamas, you still guys have got the, the footprint of your child when they were born? Right? And the Lord's saying this is because I'm doing a new thing, I'm actually creating a footprint that will become a blueprint right? And it's going to be based off of my blood. And, and this, so we, we've, we've been seeing God do amazing things with this. And I want to share you, that's a testimony of this house in this region. And I want you to embrace it, to realize Jesus is actually doing a new thing, and now he's pouring stuff out. This morning, we're in uh, all, I mean, pre-service prayer time, and somebody, I mean, it might have been Jeremiah, just made a declaration, amen. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the heavens opened up, and it started pouring down rain. And I just went and stood out on that deck and just said, okay, Jesus, here it is. 
right here. We're living in a time where the, actually the heavens respond to the call of the heart of his people for more, right? We've redeemed the land. Now the land is going to come back into agreement with Jesus because we're standing on the land, right? Because we're walking by the blood and we're actually moving to this place. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by what I've seen this weekend because I knew it was something. We had to birth something into the world that's a little bit bloody, so speaking on that today, I'm going to bring up my brother, Charlie. If, if you guys remember him, he was here with us back in the courts of heaven. I love and esteem Charlie more than you could possibly know of what he and Susie, his wife, have meant for my life, Brian, Brian uh, Higby as well. And um, I'm, a, I'm a better man because uh, Charlie's inside of my life. So once y'all, and he's already up here, why don't y'all stand up and just give a warm honor. Thank you, buddy. God told me to bring some old school. I really kind of like my iPad. But... I, uh... Told my wife I was coming here, but I basically I was coming because I'm selfish and I wanted a break. I didn't want to do anything. I wasn't scheduled to preach. So then I called her and I said, listen, Jay wants me to preach Sunday morning. I don't have any preaching clothes. She says, well, I can't help it. I thought you were prophetic. <laughs> she says, don't be blaming me. She says, at least you'll have tennis shoes on. If you do something stupid, you can run. <clears throat> um, I'm family here, whether you know it or not. And so I'm just going to act like I own the place. But I, do, I really believe God's dropped some stuff in my heart. And then uh, yesterday afternoon, I was kind of going through it, and he says, put, put, um, ask me what to do. So I got some ask me what to do's. So uh, we'll find out. Um, I, I just, I just want to say to the house, um, I've needed you. I've been walking with Jesus for a while. I have no problem creating problems. Um, it's kind of my gifting. Uh, but when, 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 when the Lord uses you to restore broken, especially leaders, and they don't repent, and they die of foot and toe infections, what do you think he's doing here with your foot now? And I, and I got butt hurt when... Six or seven of them die of foot and toe infections because they wouldn't repent. And these are qualified leaders of, of churches and prophets. And, and I just quit. I hid behind pastoring my church. And I became so sweet and so loving and so kind. And then I showed up here not wanting to be here for the uh, courts of heaven. If you read Brian Higby's book, in about chapter 10, I evidently made him mad when I was here, and I didn't know it, so he's publicly repented, so that's what brothers do. Um, but something happened when I was here that I needed. Um, I met my sister, Cindy. I have three sisters, so I'm not afraid of a, of a strong woman, because they tried to kill me. Um, here's what I heard for the house. I want to bless the house. 
This is a house of activation and empowerment. It has an anointing to bring supernatural maturity to the body of Christ. The increase is now being released that what took years will start maturing in months. What took months will start maturing in days. And many things will mature by the power of your blessing. That's the DNA of the house. When I was here, um, Cindy and I built um, some love for each other because she's kind of prophetic and I'm kind of break all the rules. And we started having Zoom calls. And what she did was she was challenging some of the way I do ministry because it didn't line up with hers. And she was very respectful, and I think we were very respectful. But what she did is she made me go deep, deep within what I do. So about the third week of calls, the Lord always turns on me. He goes, well, do you really believe what you're debating with her about? I said, yeah. And he said, then why aren't you doing that? And so, because of her, God cornered me. And I said, he said, when are you going to sign up to heal my broken? And so I repented. And I said, right, I'm in. Within three weeks, I was handed leaders that are desperate not to go to jail. Desperate <laughs> to keep their marriages intact. And that's the mess. This is when I say, are you willing to get bloody or willing to get dirty? And, and we're going to have to do that in the body of Christ because the body of Christ has to get healed before we can heal the world. And so within just a few weeks of that, I am seriously doing ugly work that nobody would sign up for. And I have a wife who doesn't really care. And I was complaining, and she wrote an address down. She says, why don't you drive to this address pull in the parking lot and tell God this isn't worth it. And I'm like, 875 Elkham Boulevard. I said, that's Trinity. She goes, yeah, it's the biggest church in our region. 3,000, two other campuses, eight, ten million dollars worth of buildings paid for. But when God sent me there, the buildings were vacant. The pastor went to jail for kidnapping and drug charges. And it was a ghost town. And the Lord says, listen, if you're willing to restore my people, I'm not done with that house. And I poured my life into it. Got beat up pretty good. Learned a couple things. Some things I learned not to do. But 13 years later, that pastor came out of prison, and I restored him back to the ministry. He's not at that church, but that church is thriving. And so my wife says, why don't you go sit in the parking lot and tell God that he's really not in charge. What am I saying? Is it, listen, count the cost of what God's calling us to do here. It's going to be ugly and it's going to be bloody. But on the end results is God's going to get the glory. I, listen, I, I'm a little tired of people getting saved and not transformed. <laughs> the cross will save you. <laughs> Surrender to Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost will actually transform you. And I need transformation. I'm tired of salvation. And I mean, it starts with salvation. But so when I was here the last time, I, and it's funny, Jay, I said this to your church, think it was for your church, and here's what the Lord said to me. He says, the woke spirit has and is invading the church. The issue is starting to manifest in the fact that my people and leaders are getting offended by my truth. But it's my truth that will set you free. 
When your gift of righteousness is from me, then you will not be easily offended. The Lord is not unwilling to offend you to expose your heart. I said that here thinking that it was for my sweet friends. I have quoted that every time I've preached since then. And it's interesting that I got that here, and it's for the nation. It's for the body of Christ. How many know we're in a war? Yeah, well, you better man up, or we're going to lose it. I'm going to preach about the seven places Jesus bled. I know yesterday, Brian Higbenham thought I was taking a nap over there. I was actually in Africa, in my spirit, man. I do missions. I just do it really quick. And the Lord took me back to a cannon in front of the El Mino slave castle that I had had an encounter when I was in Africa. And the angel showed me the underground railroad of the African slave trade in America. He gave me some instructions at, at that encounter. Because I was asking God, you know, you got Joel and Michael, they're in this sex trafficking, and I'm like, how do I fit? You know, if you know my history, I was an abuser. I was the trafficker. And I don't want nothing to do with y'all. If if that just isn't what I want. I, I, I deal with broken pastors that are really holy and corrupt. And so I, I'm asking God, how do I fit? And so I kind of took a little trip and left the farm and was back at that cannon. And I saw the roots of racism in America. I came out of that encounter and started traveling and told America, be prepared for black leadership at the highest level. They thought I was crazy. Then Obama got elected. The first trip President Obama took to foreign soil, and his first interview was with Anderson Cooper next to the same cannon. It's a sign. God hates slavery. God wants to eradicate it, not just the racial issues, the sexual issues, and the broken issues. And I'm telling you, he's going after the abusive church leaders. Mm-hmm. As I'm working through some helping people deal with stuff, I sat at the airport. I said, Lord, what I learned this weekend, this is a huge thriving church that's collapsing with a house of cards around it. He says, a visionary without accountability will go blind. This leader went blind and he started in, had the inability to see his own sin and his own error, and that has been the cause of his fall. And when you go blind, it starts becoming your vision, not God's vision. And then you start using your provision and not his. And then you become abusive because the vision and the, and the promise is bigger than the people that God told you to serve. A leader, <clears throat> a leader that demands loyalty without transparency is already corrupt. You can't. You can't say submit to authority when the authority is not trustworthy. So God's, God's cleaning house. I'm just going to throw it out there because I don't know when I'm going to do it. 
He says it's time to deal with the bastard curse in the church. I don't even know what that means. Somewhere along this message, we're going to figure that one out. I feel better just saying it because now I don't have to figure out how we're going to do it. The blood of the lamb, it changes the believer from failure and frustration to freedom and faithfulness. The blood must be applied by one in authority, taking the hyssop and applying it. We now call that confession. Not only does it stop the destroyer, but it releases the blessing. Three things the blood of Jesus does. It absorbs all of the bad DNA. Number two, it cancels every curse. It replaces your old tendencies with a new nature of Christ. So when you look at the blood of Jesus, um, when, when I got radically saved, I had a lot of stuff. I was, I was in a lot of stuff. My mind was being tormented demonically. And I was crying out to this new loving father that I found, this Jesus that loved me. But my mind was being tormented. I said, Jesus, you got to help me. I can't live this way. And I, and I went into a vision, and I, I wound up with my arms wrapped around the cross of Christ. And he was on the cross naked, completely naked. He didn't have no loincloth. Let me tell you why. Because in the Jewish culture, the worst thing you can do is show your nakedness. Jesus did more than take away your sins. He took away your shame. And I looked up on the cross, and I saw the side where he was pierced. And blood came down the side, came down his torso. And it went past his knees and came down. And I'm looking up, and one drop of blood came off of his toe and hit me in the head. And I found peace that I had never had. One drop of his blood brought clarity to who he was and who I was in him. And I started to learn how to walk by power, walk with grace because of one drop of blood. Listen, I tell you, the church has got to quit being mamby-pamby about the blood. This is a bloody religion, but it's the right blood. Jesus paid an incredible price for our redemption. When man, man fell from paradise, it was a great fall. All the king's horses and all the I'm not going to be funny. The ministry of Jesus can be summed up in one word, restoration. Say restoration. Wholeness took the king's blood. I want to explore the significance of each part that Jesus bled from. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 and 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. Say stumbling block. Because we're going to go back and talk about the stumbling block. This kumbaya Christianity is going to change. Because you're supposed to be the stumbling block. To Jew, stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish, foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Listen, <clears throat> Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Anybody want to finish it? Most people don't finish it. Why? Because they never surrender to the point of death to have Jesus Christ walk in resurrection power. You can quote the blood of the Lamb. You can tell your little kumbaya story. <laughs> but unless you surrender, it has no power. The first place that Jesus uh, bled from was in the garden. In 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> we explained that the first Adam lost 
in the last Adam restored, and he lost it in the garden, and Jesus restored it in the garden. Jesus was in the garden, and he sweat drops of blood. The first place Jesus precious blood was sweat. Let me tell you that this is <clears throat> it, it. It was the Garden of Eden where Adam fell, and the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus began the restoration of fallen man. When Jesus entered the garden that night, he had 11 disciples with him. He t- told eight of them to wait and took three a little further. When he went a little further, he knelt and he prayed, not my will, but your will. Listen, until you understand that your effort ain't squat. You need to understand that your sweat is nothing without the blood. I'm going to tell you what, I, I've learned some things because I'm, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a interesting personality. I don't like losing. And I don't like being broke. If you understand that he sweat drops of his blood, then my effort can be redeemed. And when it's no longer my effort, but my obedience to him in effort, I can walk in favor. Some of you need to, to need, need, need take communion and put a little, little dab of do you around where your brow. By the sweat of your brow, he said, this was part of the curse. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to make bread. Some of you have been working your tailbone off because you haven't redeemed your own sweat. It's your work. It's your this. It's your that. Listen, why don't you just surrender and walk in favor? Say this. One day of favor is greater than a thousand days of labor. That's why he bled at the place that you're sweating. Stop this thing. When we walk in favor, I don't. It becomes a place of rest. Yeah, I got to get up and go to work and do what I'm doing. But dude, I'm doing it with the energy of God, not mine. I'm doing it with the wisdom of God, not mine. I'm doing it with the favor of God, not mine. Listen, favor isn't fair. Favor isn't fair. You want to make some religious people mad? Walk in favor. Quit being a non-profit prophet. Come on. Listen, I, I had this religious lady. She, she ran some outreach, and she comes to my business. She goes, hey, would you sponsor? We want to raffle this Harley off, you know, and would you pay for the Harley? Well, that, ain't, that ain't fun. And I understand. You got to have someone buy and do this. And I said, no. I said, but I'll buy a ticket. And she said, what? You can write this off in your business. I said, I want to write it off in my business. You get your Harley from somebody else. I'll buy a couple tickets. I bought two tickets, and the Lord said to me, you know she's going to be mad when you win that. <laughs> I think, I don't run my big mouth, told her that I ain't doing it, but I'm going to win it. And the Lord said, she's going to be really mad when you win it. Now, how are you going to handle her anger? I said, what do you mean? He says, you have so much fear of man, you don't even want it. Why? Because you can't handle my favor because it's going to make other people jealous. And so I said, Lord, I don't want to win it. Why? Because I was trying to fit in. 
If you understand the favor of God, it's going to make some people just really irritated with you until they realize where your favor is coming from. One of my spiritual sons called me one day, Oh, Pops, I need money for the kids' diapers and the kids' formula. I said, did you ever do that budget I told you to? He said, nope. I said, you got some, your kids got dumb parents. <laughs> I tell your kids, they need diapers, they need formula because you're stupid. Well, you don't have the money. No, I got the money. You just ain't getting it. See, we want favor, but we don't want to obey the small things. I'm telling you. It's the small things that make Jesus come and kiss you. I, I, I sit in front of a, a large client in the parking lot knowing I'm going, I, I said, Lord, I need favor from heaven first and man second. Lord, I need your favor. And I go through the list. Am I walking in favor? Favor isn't fair. The second place Jesus bled was in his beard. The next drops of his blood were recorded in the gospel's accounts, are not recorded in the gospel account, but they're recorded prophetically in Isaiah. Isaiah 50-6 says, I gave my back for those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and do Exodus 33.20 for all the religious people that tell me I can't see God face to face. They quote Exodus 33.20. But I said, you cannot see my face, for man shall see me and not live. Listen, if you'll die to yourself, you can get in the face of God. When they plucked his beard, he bled at his beard. Why? That now gives me access to face to face with my creator. It's time to get face-to-face. Listen, quit asking for wisdom. Ask for a face talk. You want to do some FaceTime? Some of you need to understand your Apple. It started at an Apple problem. And it's time to get face-to-face with our Father. We have the access because he bled at his beard. And you can get face-to-face with God. It's time for some face-to-face encounters. Listen, I had face-to-face encounters. I got radically saved. Why? Because I met him face to face. Some of you need to quit praying for salvation for your, for your, your, your kinfolk. You need to say, they just need a face to face with you. One face to face will change everything. <laughs> One face to face changes everything. The problem is that we, religion says you can't do it. The problem is you're unwilling to surrender enough to be face to face. Because when you get face to face with God, something dies in you if you haven't killed it already. Third place is his back. The smiters came, trained professionals who whipped him, gave him 39 stripes. Many individuals never made it past the whipping post. They would succumb to death right there. When the first Adam fell, the burden of sickness and disease was placed on man's back. But the last Adam gave his back to the smiters, and our healing is bought and paid for by his stripes. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Many of the sex trafficking, trafficked and traffickers are wounded. It's the blood from his back that will heal their wounds and get them 
to love Jesus again. I dare to say that some of the people that are operating in sex trafficking have known Jesus at one time or another. They've got wounded by religion. They got wounded by their actions. And I'm telling you, they, they need to understand the blood of Jesus. Heals those wounds first and foremost. And they can have a face-to-face with God and change their behaviors and change their character. He bled out of his head. Next they took a crown of thorns. Those thorns were sharp. They plunged into his head. Imagine the pain that he took. The stripes on his back, the thorns in his head. When the first Adam was placed in the garden, he was crowned with dominion and authority. But then after the fall, the crown fell off. The last Adam wore a crown of thorns and that precious sin-cleansing blood flowed from his head so I can now wear the crown of life. Do you realize your royalty? Because he took the thorns. He bled in the very place that he's putting dominion on you. Some of the double-mindedness in people will go away when you apply the blood on the head. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. The blood on the head cancels double-mindedness and gives us a clear mind, and the mind of Christ. When you start thinking with the mind of Christ, you're going to realize you're wearing a crown, and your actions affect many people. Some of you need to polish your crown. Uh Uh-oh, we're going old school. You realize you are the stumbling block. Ezekiel chapter 3. I'm skipping kind of down to the feet part. Because he bled out of his feet. Ezekiel 3.16, now it came to pass at the end of seven days that that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. How many believe that you're a watchman? 
especially you intercessors. You're a watchman. What does a watchman do? They watch. Some of you just watch it and think it's a good movie, but you're not doing anything about what you're watching. You forgot that you got a sword and you got a crown. The watching's good, but if you're just going to sit back and not do anything with it, you're just a movie. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord in my mouth and give them warning of me. How many, how many have Jesus that lives on the inside of them? Okay, was Jesus a prophet? Then quit looking for one. You are. People always need a word from a prophet. You need to go home and talk to Jesus. Quit, quit, quit idolizing. Listen, you know what a prophet is? If you go really study a prophet, first and foremost, they're the friend of God. Why don't you get a little friendly? Quit being a slave and be a friend and get some secrets from him. First person he's going to tell secrets on is you. <laughs> I was sharing last night with somebody. My, my mom was super, super, super prophetic. And, and I, only got, I only got a few years with her after I got saved. And she looked at me one day and she said, baby, you're kind of weird. She says, you got some unusual gifting. I'll never forget this. She says, but you go into the secret place with Jesus. It's evident. She said, but baby, why don't you keep it a secret until you can figure it out in Scripture? Because if you'll keep those secret things secret, the first person he's going to deal with is you. And you will own the revelation. You'll, pers- you'll, 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 you'll let it leak out of you. But until you find it in Scripture, keep your mouth shut. See, the problem is, is everybody wants Jesus to share a secret with him so you can share it with others to look spiritual. That was good. This, this super spiritual lady, her name was Suzette. Everything was so spiritual. And if when, if when you do meet my wife, you'll understand this. I was looking in the mirror. She says to my wife, I was looking in the mirror, and I saw this. What does green mean right there? My wife goes, it's not. <laughs> Wash your face. <laughs> not everything is spiritual. <laughs> All right, back to the word. It's not. Here's verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require on your hand. Why? Because you won't go tell them. I've known this scripture. I'm dealing with a leader right now, and I'm looking at some pretty rough stuff. I'm trying to help him. And, and, and we're sitting down, and I'm seeing corruption. I'm seeing, dude, I, I don't know if I can keep you out of jail. And you know what he's talking about? Do you know how many people I led to Jesus? I washed the floors at church. I laid my life down. For, I'm like, I don't care. I don't give a flip about what you did was right. I'm dealing with what, what is making everything collapse. 
Come on. And, and, and I'm trying to be polite to the guy because he's a little suicidal right now. But I want to punch him in the head. And I'm, I'm telling my spirit man's going, hit him, hit him. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to help the guy, and he's like, and you know, and, and all these people turned on me. Yeah, because you're a crook. And I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I mean, it, it got so bad. I mean, when I finally went back to my hotel room, I said, God, am I wrong? Because I wanted to hit him. He says, no, you hate injustice. And too many of the body of Christ is putting all their promotions of the good deeds they did, and they're hiding their corruption by a hidden anointing. Your anointing doesn't mean you have integrity. I'm going back to the walk. And so I said to the Lord, you know, Mama said if I can't back this up in Scripture, keep it to myself. And I found it. Keep going. See, see we do the wicked. I mean, listen, I, I believe the sex trafficking, some, that's wicked stuff. All right, so, so I can handle the wicked. I can get in their face, and you need Jesus, and you need this, you need that. Okay, but listen, what do you do when the righteous fall? We call them wicked. I'm looking at this guy's stuff. There's, there's enough stuff messed up. I'm looking for the red Porsche or the pretty blonde, and it's not there. Mismanagement, it can be as wicked as thievery. Why? No accountability. He didn't want anybody to walk that close to him. I'm preaching good whether you say hello or not. So, if you don't warn the wicked and God kills them, their blood is on your hands. But if I warn them, my hands are clean. All right? So, I was like, why well, do I want to punch this guy in the head? He said, keep reading, son. Again, verse 20, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he said, son, you are his stumbling block right now. You're willing to restore. You're willing to get dirty. You're willing to deal with stuff. You are his stumbling block, and you need to tell him if he doesn't own it, he'll die. God's cleaning house. Your walk means something. Go, go attack sex trafficking and be dabbling in pornography. Find out what happens to your house. Oh, that went over well. So, I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die, because you did not... Give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, will no longer be remembered. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous, and the righteous should not sin, and he does not fall, he shall surely live because he took warning. Listen, it's time that the same cross that we're going to apply to the wicked, we apply for the righteous that are walking in unrighteousness. Judgment must start in the house of God. We can't expect God to go judge them when we're dabbling with pornography. We're dabbling with corruption. 
Wow, I'm glad I don't have to live off your offering today. His wrist. Next, our Savior was led up the hill of Golgotha to be crucified by a cruel Roman cross. They stretched out his hands and nailed him in in the wrist, not the palm, the wrist. The legionnaires who had been given the task felt this, found the specific spot. The nail had to be driven between the bones close to the wrist while not severing any, any major arteries. Listen, when the devil wants to crucify you, he wants you to feel the pain. When Jesus goes to discipline you, he wants you to feel the pain. Why? Because he wants to turn your pain into power. Come on, man. When you felt a little pain from Jesus, it's not punishment, it's discipline. The devil punishes Jesus' disciplines. When you feel some pain from discipline, you have an, op- you, you, you have an access to power to heal someone else. Wel- welcome to ministry. Welcome to ministry. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 I desire that men in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger and without quarreling I love worship service I love you Lord but I hate that guy over there I love you Lord I'm my wife I think we should kill her and love you Lord. listen we're, we're holding up holy hands and worshiping uh, but we got anger we got bitterness we got unforgiveness. Ain't that holy. But he bled so we could hold up holy hands. You're going to have to turn loose of some of your opinions. Listen, when I get upset, my opinions start having opinions. And it ain't that holy. But it's, it's time to put some of this on the cross. It's time to say, listen, this, this, this is above my pay grade. I choose to forgive. Why? But then, I, but then you feel the pain, uh, that you, what was pain, you turn it into power, and all of a sudden you have a compassion to the guy you were mad at. Oh, tell me that's not transforming. But God, if I killed him, then we could raise him. <laughs> Practice, you know, Lord. <laughs> His feet. Next, they nailed his feet. One, one nail had to be driven through both feet, which was turned toward, inward toward each other. And it would be driven through the Achilles tendon. Poor Aaron Rodgers. He needs some blood on his Achilles. I, I just want to let you know we need to stop for a moment and pray that Miami Dolphins are playing the Buffalo Bills right now. And so I am sacrificing to preach to y'all. And if they win again, oh, that's my Jesus. With his knees slightly flexed, Jesus was crucified just as God commanded the Israelites, then sacrificed the Passover lamb. Not a bone was broken. Say, not a bone. Bones, <clears throat> these things were, uh, John chapter 19, 30, uh, 36, these things were done that the scripture will may be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. When I started studying this, listen, I'm, I'm rebellious by nature. It's just kind of what I do. I drove in your parking lot and they had the cones out. I'm like, I went over them. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't like structure. 
It's just something in me. Actually, I'm writing a book right now called Jesus, the Man of Rebellion. It'll be a good one. He doesn't kill me. But Jesus was rebellious. And, and, and so as I'm studying what Jesus did, did Jesus transform the church of his day? Why? Because he released the kingdom. You will never release the kingdom until you're willing to die. If you're only going to be rebellious without a purpose, it's demonic and death will come to you. But if you're already dead to Christ, the murdering spirit can't hurt you and you'll transform into kingdom life. Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to work, walk, walk, say walk, walk, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge. <clears throat> Listen, this, this walk thing is huge. It's huge. I, I've restored... Seven world-class prophets that had bad character flaws. And the first thing God does is they, number one, they need to know you love them. I called this knucklehead for 18 months, every morning and every night. He said, I love you. I started believing it after about a year. Why? Because we became friends. I saw his strengths, even though I could see his weakness. But God said, I'll never use you to touch that broken place until he knows absolutely you love him. And if he chooses not to, then that his blood will be on him. We had four or five occasions that he, he just would not turn loose of his bitterness. It was just angry, bitter, mean, gifted prophet. Listen, first time I met this guy, he called me out and prophesied to me the most accurate prophecy I've ever had in my life. And boom, 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 boom. And then the religious leaders are going to crucify you and murder you and lie about you. And he did all of it. And so I'm sitting with a prophecy that I thought was from God. And I wanted to disqualify it because the guy who gave it to me was actually fulfilling all the corruption. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he goes, Oh, oh, you think he can't prophesy my word and still be corrupt? He goes, people do it all the time. And so I'm looking at this prophecy that had wisdom in it for my survival, and I want to kill the guy who gave it to me. To the point where I quit going to New York. I was mad. I, I wasn't even mad at his senior pastor who did most of the damage to me. I was mad at him. Why? Because prophets, I, I hold a little bit in a different angle. I know you can hear God. This guy can hear God to give me this word, and he, he's a, so I, I, I took it personal. So I didn't go back for three years, and then I'm sitting with some of my leaders, and this guy's like, are you ever going to go back to New York? Big mouth Charlie. Yeah. When this prophet repents to me, then I'll go back. As it comes out of my mouth, he calls. I just want to ask you to forgive me. No! If I forgive you, then I'm going to have to go and do other things. So go ahead and sign up for this restoration stuff and see what it looks like. But, but 
four or five different times, he, he would literally wind up with, he was kind of a fat guy, and so he was trying to lose weight, but he would get a toe infection. And then he would repent, and it would go away. Then four, five, six months later, he'd get mad at some other preacher or whatever. He would get another toe infection. I'm like, dude, if you see the sign of your walk, man, you stink. Jesus requires a good walk, especially at that level of the prophetic. That happened four or five times. Then he moved. I felt a disconnect between us. See, you know why some of you don't feel disconnects? Oh, you don't make covenants. I'm sorry. Some of you are so afraid of making a covenant, you'll never feel a disconnect. Some of you never feel that Jesus pulling away because you don't really know you had a covenant with him either. <laughs> yeah, but you, want, you, you could profess the power of the covenant, but you haven't actually entered into one. Some of you are still dating Jesus because you won't take on his name or his nature. You're just having sex out of covenant. Oh, let's just go ahead and go there. We've got to remove the bastard curse off the church. See, see, so many people have gotten saved because the church saved him. We actually haven't introduced him to the Father, and that's a false covenant. Yeah, I don't feel like a really good member of that church. Yeah, because you got a bastard curse on you because you really don't, you haven't done your part. That was, yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> Well, you're going to two services next week, so just hang in there. How did I learn this? My wife got pregnant from a date rape that I committed. Instead of hating me, she prayed. She prayed me in the kingdom. We got married two, two and a half years later. My oldest son was 20. had just come out of Oral Roberts. And he's like, Dad, I don't know what it is. I, I got a curse on me. Could you put your crazy prophetic deliverance team people and find out what's tormenting me? I'm like, sure. So I called my buddies. We went there and team leader and the team and did all the prophetic. And I'm over here messing with a little piano because they won't let me talk because it's my kid. And they just asked the Lord what it is. And Tim, the leader, has an open vision, knows exactly what it is. But nobody else could pick it up. And we had a rule at that time, you don't, out of the mouth of two or three, we don't go with one. He needed a confirmation to what he had. He wrote it down. So he looked to the team, he goes, hey, this is, Charlie's got a lot of authority. This is an authority thing. You guys can't see it. He says, can I ask for his help? I'm tinkling. He says, Coker. What's the curse on your kid? And I just blurted out, it's a bastard curse. He had had a vision of my mother-in-law when Susie gave birth to, to Jason. She walked up to him and grabbed his little feet, and she says, you're a bastard. Because I wasn't in the picture. And this demon was assigned to my kid. I wound up marrying his mother. He's my son. He carries my name. He's 20 years old. And a bastard curse makes you feel unloved and not part of the family up to ten generations. I had done everything right in the natural, but what I had forgot to do was to break the very curse. He was conceived outside of a covenant.
We broke that thing. And listen, something happened between him and I. We, we, we wound up in business together. We wound up friends. All of a sudden, that, that, that demonic stiff arm that I got as a father was gone. God healed that thing. But I'm telling you, the blood breaks all curses, but sometimes you got to open your mouth and apply it. And I believe that, aha! The devil's overplayed his hand. The devil has made a fatherless generation thinking he's going to win. But I'm going to release the father's love through my church. And it will be the first generation to have a double portion. They will redeem their natural line. They will redeem their spiritual line. And I, the father, will get the glory. I can break it because of my blood. Oh! The devil's overplayed his hand. He thinks we're all fatherless. We have no hope. We got a father in heaven who's looking for a bride that we're introducing face to face. It's the first generation with a legal right to have a double portion because you can redeem your natural line and you can redeem your spiritual lines. But we got to understand that there's an inheritance that he's already stored up in heaven. some of those principles. My father was an angry religious man, but he still was my father, but he was an orphan. This principles work with, in reverse, what's the kingdom? The kingdom, we can kind of do anything it wants to do. So, you know, get off your, I don't know how, and speak it. 84 years old, my father came to me. He said, will you break this thing off me and show me who God the father is? I've only applied Jesus, and I don't know who I am. 84 years old. I broke that orphan thing off of him. Spoke a father's blessing over my father. In two years, ordained him as a prophet. It's time to redeem our lines. It's time to... Come on. Some of you need to go... Some of you need to go to your kids and break that curse off of them because you know they were conceived outside of a marriage covenant. Some of you have been, been attacked and connected to religion because you gave your heart to church and not Christ. I had a worship leader, uh, to a couple of my, they were part of a heavy metal band, got saved. Part of my church and they were going to get married. And uh, they came to me and they said, hey, Mike lost his lease. And uh, <laughs> he's moved in. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. What are we going to do about it? Lord, what are we going to do about it? He says, well, why don't you go marry them now? So I called him and he got his mom. He got her mom. To, and I married them. The ceremony was going to be like two months. As I'm got in my car. The Lord said, go tell him this. I'm like, I ain't telling him that. Go tell him this. I said, Mike, I heard the Lord tell me something as I was leaving. I said, do you trust me? And he goes, nope. You're crazy. I said, listen, I know I just married you and, and, and you've been walking in holiness. I said, will you wait 
to consummate sexually this marriage until after the public ceremony. He goes, are you kidding me? I'm like, I just heard the Lord say, he has a special gift for you if you'll honor this. They honored it. I didn't know they honored it until I was doing their wedding. I'm doing their ceremony. And the Lord taps me on the shoulder. He says, hey, remember that promise we made them? I said, yeah, but I don't know if they did it or not. <laughs> I mean, come on. And I said, you guys trust me? And he goes, no. <laughs> You're crazy. I said, stay right here. And I slipped out in front of him. I said, listen, I'm, we're going to the ceremony. and we're, we're marrying two people. Her name was her, a real her. Her name is Billy. Billy Bridges is now going to become Billy Boudot. She's taken on his name. She's taken on his nature. Everything he has is hers and everything she has. I said, and some of you have been dating Jesus. You enjoy the relationship, but you have no real benefit because you haven't taken on his name. You haven't taken on his nature. If you're tired of dating Jesus and you want to commit to a real relationship, come forward. His mom and dad got saved. It's time to break the bastard curses. Naturally and spiritually. Listen, this next season, our walk does matter. I don't believe this is just a coincidence. Our walk matters. Don't get religious on me. You know, you know when you've lied, and you know when you've believed a lie. I had a situation where I'm like, you know, a dream would have been better because this is painful. I hate repenting. He said, then quit screwing up. When you tell a lie, the first person you wound is your friend, Jesus. Come on. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. The problem is that we don't know how good of a friend he is, that when we feel that we've wounded him by our behavior, you have to stop and fix it then. When you wound your friend, Jesus, by your behavior, stop what you're doing. And correct it right then. Here's what the Lord said. If you go to the second lie to cover up the first lie, now, now you, the devil has a hook in you. The first one is you wound your friend. The second one, the devil has a hook in you. And if you go to the third lie, you set a death sentence on your destiny. The seventh place was his side. Jesus was crucified and given his life to redeem us. But there's still some blood left in his body. The Roman soldiers were sent back to break the legs of the offender and speed up their deaths. But seeing that Jesus was already dead, they took his spear and plunged it into his side to make sure that the outflow of blood and water. Do you know why the, the bones not being broken is so vital? Being the makeup that I'm, I, I, I have a tendency to be rebellious. 
have a tendency to have enough gifting to call out leadership that's wrong. It's not a smart thing to do. It's not healthy if you want to build a ministry because there's a protocol and a way to do it to get the benefit. But what happened is I started getting mad at the church. And the Lord said to me one day, you know why I never let them break my bones during my crucifixion? So why? He says, that's the structure that you're fighting against. <laughs> he said, you would rather go break their bones than actually be part of the bride. The bones are the structure. Listen, and the bones are anointed. He protected the bones. He protects the family structure. He protects the five-fold ministry. He protects that. And listen, we want to say that they're abusive. They don't understand my gifting. They don't let my creativity flow. No, you're a knucklehead. You need healing. Yeah. Or you truly are rebellious. How many, how many have a, a lean a little rebellious? I'd be the chief of all of you. But there's, there's, there's a quality that the rebellious have that once it's redeemed, you'll go to the edge, and that's where Jesus loves to do miracles. So you need to redeem your rebellion and submit to the structure God has put you in. And, and, and even if they don't see your qualification, go to the Lord and get your qualification qualification for him and let him promote you this works guys and, and it's snot <laughs> the structure has got to be valued I think that when the structure is valued properly, it can hold the weight of his glory. Listen, I, I had bumper stickers made that said, church sucks. I was anti-church, and now I have one. So then I had another bumper sticker that says, I'm not anti-church, I'm pro-kingdom. I was being saved as on the, in the journey. And then he makes me be a pastor. Like, ain't that funny? And you wonder why people leave your church and you get butt hurt. Because they, they didn't value the structure. The problem is I didn't value the structure. And therefore, I didn't build it properly. When they pierced his side, it's interesting that that's the very place that God put Adam to sleep. From his side, birth to bride. Some of us that are angry with a structure or angry with leadership, and some of them are justified. I get it. I get it. Need to understand that he bled from his side, and you are his bride. We are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And when we value where he shed his blood as the bride, I will have a little grace for you. Hopefully, you'll have some grace for me. But the bride has got to start protecting the bride. That makes sense?
So he bled from his sweat, from his face, from his back, from his head, from his hands, from his feet, and from his side. I love Thomas. When Jesus raised from the dead and went to his disciples, Thomas, he showed up. You ever had someone, boy, you missed church last night. God showed up. Ticked me off. Why? Because I want to be where God is. But you know, Thomas said, hey, until I see, until I see that nail print, until I see this, I will not believe you. How many think that he was doubting Thomas? Whoo, let me tell you about Thomas. You know why Thomas said that? Because when you go back to John 11, Lazarus died. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to wait a couple more days until he's really, really dead and stinketh. And then he said to his disciples, he said, this death, <laughs> this death is not for the enemy, but it is for the revealing of the glory of the Lord. And Thomas, out of all the disciples, the only one that said this, well, then let us die also. He was willing to lay his death down and die like Lazarus. Why? To see the glory revealed. And so when you value the glory more than your life, you can put a demand on a second church service that Jesus shows up just for you. So Jesus shows up with the crucifixion of all crucifixions. How many thousand scars would Jesus have on his body? The cat of nine tails, the whippings, the thorns, the beard. How many scars would he have had on his body? 2,500? How many did he show Thomas? Two. His hands and his sides. Why? Because that was his requirement. To believe. Scars are optional. You just have to ask God, hey, what, is, what does this chick need? Does she need to see this scar? Or does she need to see this scar? I got a bunch, but I only need to show her the two places you healed me because those are the places she needs healing. Scars are optional when the finished work of the cross has healed you. But they're still a tool to win the wicked and win the lost. God is releasing an anointing to the body of Christ to discern what scars to show so they can believe. I'm done. Hmm? Yeah, I think we need to. Yep. You going to do that or am I? You do it. You're the pastor here.
So I think it's important we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of it. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that was jam-packed. And so he said it, Jesus removed shame. So how about we remove some shame? How about we break a bastard curse? Yeah, come on. So if, if you, that resonated inside of you, because you go, that was mine. That was me. I've been walking in that. The Lord revealed it, and I'm done with it. I want you to go ahead and stand up and come on up, and we're going to pray. Listen, if you have a tendency to feel like you never fit, just say it anyway. See, the bastard curse kept you outside the camp for up to 10 generations. Break this thing. Break the lie. I mean, and, and trust me, if you're like me and Susie, and you actually have a natural child that has been conceived outside of wedlock, the blood of Jesus breaks this, man. My relationship changed that moment with my own son. Listen, I did, I did a similar service in West Palm Beach, and I had a grandma go grab one of her kids. She said, you had no idea. You were conceived in an adulterous relationship. Let's break this thing right now. And her husband was standing there. And it brought healing to him because he always knew something was wrong. And they're healthy today. Jesus is not afraid to break a curse you've been hiding. Say, Lord... Lord, thank you for your blood. I apply your blood into the area of this curse that I have brought into my life. I break this curse that my parents brought into my life. And I redeem myself and put myself in your hands. I thank you, Father God, for loving me, cleansing me, and making me whole. I want to remain in your presence. Help me find my place in the body next to you. In Jesus' name. We need to understand it's not just the removal of a thing. Yeah, come on. But it's the establishment of a thing. And so because the curse now has been broken, I just speak to each of you now and I declare right now, you are beloved sons and daughters in whom the Father is well pleased. You're not an orphan. You belong to a family. You carry the image of your father. You carry the pleasure of the father. You never have to work for affirmation or approval. You already have it in Jesus' name. And I declare right now, from this point on, you carry the name. The signet ring is on your hand. The robe is wrapped around your shoulders. The sandals are on your feet. You are royal sons and daughters. Here it is, Jesus. 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 Here it is, Jesus
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let the blood flow. Let the blood flow. Every area. Every area. Every area. Let me scoot right here. Let me, let me scoot here. Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Joel Pam, if you guys would come up and I think there's some people that need to be ministered to. Thornton, Michael, Kelly, any of our ministry team. I'm just going to say this. If you feel like it's time for you to, to go, you can go. We're going to release you on that. But if you can need to prayer, we're just going to, we're going to seal up this holy moment by taking a moment. I just, I would just ask, what about the generational thing? If you're a, a grandma, a grandpa, let's cleanse this thing all the way down through your bloodline. This generational thing has got to go. <laughs> I break its power right now through the generations in Jesus' name. We are a holy generation because your precious blood has given us the ability to break every curse the bastard curse uh, every demonic assignment every agreement that is that is unholy and ungodly i break its power now through the generations through the generations through the generations and to the generations to come <laughs> oh lord i thank you uh, through the generations I want you. I want my great great grandchildren yes. to say, no, not only you, God, but the God of my great great grandpa. Yes, yes. I want to be able to have a covenant and pull on that great great grandpa's God because it is filtered through the generations. It is filtered through the lifeline of my family. I bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.